Guy Consolmagno was appropriately born in 1952 on the cusp of the space race. His childhood and teen years in Detroit were littered with space flight capability achievements or disappointments between the rivaling Soviet Union and United States as space exploration became another arena for Cold War competition. Guy was three when Russia launched Sputnik. He was six when NASA was created. A year later, the Soviets launched the first space probe to hit the moon. He was 10 when John Glenn orbited the Earth, and 17 when Neil Armstrong became the first man to walk on the moon. These news stories colored his childhood as he celebrated the explorations of this untouched frontier. I was a baby boom kid, and that meant growing up in the 60s during the height of the space race. And all smart little boys were going to be scientists or engineers, um, so that was what I was going to do. And I had all those great kits that kids had in those days. You know, chemistry set in the basement and uh, uh, astronomy, you know, do-it-yourself homemade planetariums. The space race uh, fed the curiosity, but the curiosity was already there. Any kid who's gone out and looked at the sky is going to be fascinated. That Astronomy is the great gateway drug to becoming interested in the universe, becoming a scientist. In particular, though, my dad was a great teacher of astronomy. Um, he had been a navigator in B-17s during the war. They taught him celestial navigation, so he knew the stars from that. We had the summer cottage out in the lake, so it was good and dark. We didn't have these city lights that ruin astronomy for people now. But unlike all the other smart little boys, he actually did become an astronomer and a Jesuit brother, a job that would take him from the Detroit he loved to Vatican City to serve as the director of the Vatican Observatory, write several books, teach in Nairobi, travel to Antarctica to collect 400 meteorites for research, appear on the Colbert Report, and commiserate with the last three popes. Today on Detroit Stories, we speak with the director of the Vatican Observatory. Yep, we have an observatory. Welcome to Detroit Stories, a podcast on a mission to boldly share the stories of the people and communities in Southeast Michigan. These are the stories that fascinate and inspire us. This episode is brought to you by Catholic Funeral and Cemetery Services. Pre-planning is a gift of love for your family. To start this important end-of-life conversation, visit cfcsdetroit.org. Brother Guy Consolmagno was born in Harper Woods to East Coast transplants who moved to Detroit for his father's work in the press office at Chrysler. His family ended up moving to Birmingham and became Our Lady Queen of Martyrs parishioners where Brother Guy attended school through eighth grade. I got a phenomenally good education there. I learned science from the nuns who taught me at Our Lady Queen of Martyrs. I learned science also from the lay people who taught me there. And what they taught me by their example is that this is good stuff, nothing to be afraid of, and nothing that I can't do. What they taught me was that there is joy to be found the kind of joy that shows God's presence. Um, too many people believe that there is a war between science and faith because they only see the atheists on TV. And it's, you know, who wants to be on TV? Well, the people who are trying to sell you something. The nuns and the, the teachers that I had who taught me science weren't trying to sell me anything. They were just trying to share something that they found great pleasure in. And that sense of... This comes from a deeply religious person who finds God in these things is a message that really 
is best carried in a Catholic school. From there, Brother Guy attended U of D Jesuit High School, where he became the editor of the high school newspaper. And because of his education, upon graduation, he truly felt like the world was his oyster. And when it came time to find a college, I had gotten such a good education at U of D High that I wanted to study everything. You know, when it came time to, to find a, a major, I was looking for the box that said all of the above. Brother Guy chose to go to Boston College to be closer to East Coast family, and because it was a Jesuit school, something he had grown to love in high school. A year later, he transferred to MIT, where he was active in the Catholic student group there. Brother Guy loved what he was doing. His research centered on meteors, meteorites, and asteroids. He was studying rocks from space, so much so that he went off to get a graduate degree in it. That became a PhD, which became a postdoctoral fellowship. Ten years went by, and then... I hit 30. And then this little nagging question in the back of my head that came from, you know, the, that conscience that the Jesuits had installed. Why am I doing astronomy when people are starving in the world? All of these uncomfortable questions. Maybe I could do something more than, than astronomy. So he quit his postdoc and joined the Peace Corps where he was sent to Kenya to teach astrophysics to graduate students at the University of Nairobi. It was a fulfilling job. He was teaching men and women who were going to start teaching in colleges across Kenya. But the part of it he loved the best was on the weekend. All my friends up country would invite me on the weekends. I'd bring my little telescope. Everybody in the village wants to look through the telescope. Everybody in the village wants to hear about what NASA is discovering on the moon and the spacecraft that are going by, you know, Jupiter and Saturn, because everybody is curious about the universe and themselves and how do we fit in. We all have souls. Our souls need to be fed. We're not fed by bread alone. I'd read that someplace. That is what really changed my, my thinking entirely why we do astronomy even though people are starving in the world because they're starving for food yes but they're also starving to know who they are and that they can fit into this great intellectual achievement years later there was a, a, a theology professor at notre dame who pointed out the seven days of genesis the story of creation in genesis has as its ending point the sabbath day the day where you can relax and not worry about feeding your stomach and worry instead about feeding your soul, where you can look at nature and paint or sing songs or write poetry or do astronomy. This is what we were made for. I was so overwhelmed with that, I, I was able to get a job teaching at a small college, and that was not nearly as much fun as it was teaching in, in the Peace Corps, even though I loved the teaching because it lacked that doing it for something bigger than myself. And I realized if I joined the Jesuits, I could teach for a cause bigger than myself. But I knew still I didn't have the vocation to be a priest. And then I remembered, well, Jesuits have brothers too. Brother Guy entered the Jesuits at 37 years old. He imagined himself teaching in some small college, getting the same fulfillment of doing something bigger than himself. Instead, as he cheekily explains, They said, no, you don't get to teach at a small college like you thought you were going to. Instead, under obedience, they ordered me to go to Rome, look at that boring scenery, 
eat that terrible food, oh yeah, live in a palace, the Pope's summer home, where there happened to be a thousand meteorites, the very thing that I was a specialist in. That was 30 years ago, and I've never looked back. You may be asking yourself, why does the Pope need an observatory? The answer to that is tenfold, but it starts around 1582. The idea that the universe can tell you about God, that you need to know this before you use theology, is a really old idea. In the medieval universities, before you could get your doctorate in theology or philosophy, you had to study certain grammar courses, what we would now call grammar school, and then certain advanced courses, probably what we would call high school now, which included uh, arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy. By then, at that time, astronomy really meant cosmology, how the universe was put together, but you did that by looking at the stars and seeing how the stars and the planets moved. Studying the physical universe is an act of worship, and that's why you have astronomers. The Vatican Observatory can actually trace its roots back to 1582, when the popes first hired professional astronomers. But a practical reason for the institution of the observatory was the beginning of the notion that religion and science were at war with one another. In a more practical sense, in the late 1890s, Pope Leo XIII was faced with a couple of problems. It doesn't go back to Galileo. Uh, certainly Galileo didn't think that. And certainly you know, for the next hundreds of years after Galileo, most of the people writing scientific papers are either wealthy noblemen or clergymen. Because, you know, who else had the education and the free time to be able to do science? It was only at the end of the 19th century that, uh, for political reasons, in America, for instance, people started the rumors that those Catholics from Eastern Europe and Southern Europe, you know, people like my grandfather and great-grandfather, had to be kept out of the country because they're ruining the place, and they're Catholics, and besides, Catholics are anti-science. And science was going to be the new religion. Well, science makes for a wonderful science, but a terrible religion. The Pope wanted to counter that. And so he thought if we have, if we reestablish a Vatican observatory, where we just have astronomers doing astronomy alongside the other astronomers, we can show the world that the church supports science, that we're not anti-science. Today, the observatory exists not only to remind the astronomers that you know the church supports what they do, that's not such a big issue anymore. An awful lot of astronomers I know are um, quite religious themselves, and almost all astronomers understand that there's no conflict. I think the people who need to be taught today are the people in the pews. Uh, you know, a lot of them, people who listen to your podcast, they need to be reminded that God expresses Himself in the things that are made and gave us the intelligence to be able to understand it. That uh, Genesis is not, you know, a science textbook. You know, science textbooks go out of date. Genesis doesn't go out of date. It's not a science textbook. And to not be afraid of science. As Pope John Paul II put it, uh, the truth does not contradict the truth. Since 2015, he has been the director of the Vatican Observatory, a job that involves building a lot of bridges between supposedly warring groups of people. First of all, I've never forgotten my dad's roots working in press relations for a big corporation and seeing how it's important for institutions to talk to the public and to listen to the public. The Pope 
put together the Vatican Observatory in 1891 to show the world that the church supports science. So we have this mission not only to do the science. You have to do the science or else you've got nothing to show. But we also have this mission to do things like this podcast, to show the world. And that's a large focus of what I do is a lot of this outreach. I write articles for newspapers. I write books. Um, I'm on YouTube. I was even on the Colbert Report. The second feature of the job is ensuring that the Vatican Observatory's scientists are supported and equipped with computers, laboratories, telescopes, etc., to do the work they need to do. And the third part of the job is to be a bridge actually between the world of astronomy and the church. So it's not just telling the world about the stuff that we're doing at the observatory, supporting, supported by the church, but it's also telling the church about the concerns and the joys of being a scientist. Being this bridge means working with supposedly warring groups, such as the quote, new atheists, or those on both sides of the fence who think that science and religion are mutually exclusive. These new atheists superimpose a tension between the two on society, the assumption that in time, with enough resources, every secret of the world will be uncovered by science, leaving God nowhere to hide. And this, Brother Guy would actually agree with. Well, it is the case, in this sense, that if you're thinking that you find God in the hidden places, it's called the God of the gaps. But that kind of God, you know, the God who cleverly made the human eyeball possible, the God who started off the Big Bang, um, that's not the God of love in Scripture. That's Zeus throwing lightning bolts. It's no different from Zeus throwing lightning bolts. It's a pagan God. And if the new atheists don't believe in that God, good for them, because I don't believe in that God either. The God I believe in is the God of love, the God of Scripture, the God who makes space and time, not just at one point, but every space and every time. The God who infuses the universe not only with logic and reason, but also beauty. The God who, as an act of love, died for us. And as an act of love, was resurrected, showing us that death isn't the end. Uh, There's a scientific principle. If it did happen, it can happen. It's funny. New atheism is neither new nor really atheistic. Because if they're so determined to find the truth. If they were really so determined to find the truth that they would be willing to give up their preconceptions if the truth led them to someplace new, then they're not atheists, because that's who God is, the truth. They're worshiping the same God I am. I recognize that God as a personal God. They haven't gotten there yet, but they're on the right track. I'm much closer to them then I end to a lot of the uh, so-called Christian fundamentalists who want to reduce God to what they can fit into their misunderstanding of what's in Scripture because they're afraid of the real God who bursts in and tells them that everything you thought you knew is incomplete. You don't have even the beginning of knowing what's going on. Here's the key thing about science and religion. It's not about getting the answers in the back of the book. It's about all the places where we don't have the answers and we don't even have the right questions. It's all about uncertainty and not being afraid of uncertainty. This God, the God of beauty and sacrificial love, 
is the source of Brother Guy's passionate pursuit of scientific truths. Well, God wants us to know him. God also, at the end of the day, is Abba, Daddy. I'm reminded of an article I read years ago, and maybe some of your readers will catch the name and maybe some won't remember this person anymore, but there was a, a journalist in England, Emma Townsend, I think she wrote the, you know, the gardening column or something, but she wrote an article once about growing up. She was very close to her dad, and you know, dad was away for doing work a lot, but when he got home, this was the highlight, as you know, daughters and fathers ought to be. And you know, in her eyes, he was a rock star, right? He was just the greatest thing going. Well, eventually, kids grow up, and when she's about 10 or 11 or 12, she realizes that her father, Pete Townsend, really is a rock star. <laughs> he was the lead guitarist for a rock band called The Who. You know, millions of records sold. People thousands by the thousands come to hear him play, which is why he was away from home. We're in that same situation. We first recognize God as Father, as the one who loves us, the one who tells us to address him, our Father in heaven. Greater than all the wonders of the earth, and the farthest limits of his telescopic lens that Brother Guy has seen through his work, it's still the simplest moment of awe that brings him the most joy. And I love to just go outside and look at the stars and go, wow. And I've got a little amateur's telescope that I'll point at, you know, the rings of Saturn. I saw the rings of Saturn last night from my friend's backyard in his telescope. I've been seeing the rings of Saturn for 60 plus years. They never fail to make me go, oh, wow. It's interesting, when I go outside and look at the sky, beauty that everybody else gets when they look at them, I've got that too. I still go, wow. Detroit Stories is a production of Detroit Catholic and the Communications Department of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Catholic Funeral and Cemetery Services. Pre-planning is a gift of love for your family. To start this important end-of-life conversation, visit cfcsdetroit.org.